chapter 20, we haven't finished the whole chapter. We have a paragraph to go. And so we're going to take a look at that tonight. And as you get there or finish getting there, I'll ask the Lord for his grace. Now, Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts toward your word, your living word, which we all acknowledge comes from heaven, it's from your heart, it's alive, as Hebrews says, it's living and active and sharp as a sword. And so, Father, from that metaphor, we gather it's to do some work and some deep and profound things in our own spirits. So cut into our hearts and change us. Cleanse us and renew us by your living word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So here in Numbers 20, Israel's sort of done serving her 40-year sentence uh, to wander in misery and detoured circles in the wilderness here, thanks to rebellion and unbelief. Now, the problem in the wilderness has never been lack of provision. It never is on a believer's journey to the promised land. The problem is never a lack of water. It's a lack of faith and obedience. And it's the same with us. We think the problem is, oy vey, where are we going to get the water? Where are we going to get the rent? Where are we going to get whatever? And the Lord says, that's really not the problem because I have already covenanted myself with you to provide for your every need. And we see all their needs being met down to their ankles not being swollen uh, and their sandals never wearing out. They have food and water. He takes good care of them. So it's not the problem isn't in uh, making sure that uh, they have what they need. They have the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Why? The Lord is my shepherd, you see. And so lots of movement these last 38 years, but no progress. And our walk with God can be the same. You know, it's kind of the Christian's greatest nightmare, isn't it? (laughs) You know, you get there and the Lord is just uh, letting you know that you kind of wandered a lot. You didn't get to the promised land to enjoy uh, all the promises God had intended for you to have. Now, you'll notice that their 38 years of wandering thus far has been um, captured in five and a half chapters. That's 38 years and five and a half chapters compared to one single year at Sinai, 50 chapters, when they were obeying and listening. And that just tells me that there's not much to talk about when folks are in rebellion and not walking with God. There really isn't. I mean, five and a half chapters, we get the sample of what's going on. God speaks, they harden their hearts, they're murmuring, they're complaining, and they're going nowhere. And so, you know, they're just surviving, mere existence, just waiting for the old man to die. And that's what's going to happen tonight as well. One of the few left from the younger generation who have been barred from entering the promised land is going to pass away tonight. Even the leaders who were part of that crowd tonight, Aaron. So out with the old and in with the new, after 40 years of suffering, like I've been saying, they are now here at the end of chapter 20. They are uh, they're getting ready again to go back into the promised land now for reals, their final approach. 
in keeping with the Lord's sentence. And now you remember chapter 14, uh, where he says these words, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years. They're not coming in. They were right at the border when he said this. They will suffer for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. Now, tonight, the last of their bodies just about with the death of Aaron. For 40 years, he goes on to have said in chapter 14, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins. And check this out. You will know what it is like to have me against you. You will suffer for your sins. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. This is 38 years ago. They were at the gate, ready to go in, and they're thumbing their nose. They're complaining. They're ready to kill Moses, and God just said, that's it. Turn around. You turn 38 years. Nobody 20 or older will enter. The younger generation, and why? The younger generation is less accountable Because they've seen less, they know less. When you have experienced great privilege, as the older generation had, and seen the ten plagues, and seen the pillar of fire, and all of this, they are more accountable. You know, like James says in chapter 3, let not many of you be teachers, because, you know, there's a higher accountability with a greater honor. And so the younger folks are going to be able to go in. But my point is, is here God is just with the death of Aaron and the ending of this generation. In chapter 21, we're we're final approach to the promised land, new generation. We're marching. We're starting again. We're going in even tonight in chapter 21 if we get there. Yes, the Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But he is not to be trifled with. That's what I get from this. When he talks like this and he keeps his promises, even the painful ones, I just see, look, yes, compassionate, gracious, merciful, loving. But don't mess with him. Just don't mess with God. How smart is that? That's not smart. It's dumb. All right. The younger generation is now uh, all getting in line, like I said. Moses has fired the starter's pistol, and they're getting ready now for the land flowing with milk and honey. The only problem is it's occupied with bad guys, and we're going to see that. It's going to take them seven years to get those bad guys um, to displace them and to enter Canaan. Now, as we saw last week, they started out somewhat of a misfire with Moses. Uh, Deuteronomy 2, the companion text, shows that it was the Lord's idea for them to go up straight through Edom, Esau's relatives, their descendants. It would have been a straight line. It was his idea. But he also said in Deuteronomy 2, make sure you don't provoke them. And somehow... Maybe self-reliance, whatever. Moses' negotiation maybe lacked prayer. Whatever he did, he provoked them and prevented the uh, passage now. And now they're going around. So that's the context for where we pick up. I know a lot of you haven't been here every week. And so now you know, really, you're up to uh, snuff with everybody on the same page. All right? So starting in verse 22. 
the whole Israelite community now set out from Kadesh and came to Mount Or. At Mount Or, near the border of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. It is an idiom in Hebrew for death. And what a lovely Christian idea. He's not going to die. He's going to be gathered with the faithful for everybody who had eternity in their hearts and put their faith in God. And it was credited to them as being right with him. He's going to be gathered with everybody. He's going to be reconnected. He's not being disconnected. He's not going away by himself as what we look at death. He's being gathered to a community. Wow. I love that. The older I get, the more I love stuff like that. All right. Verse. All the old guys were laughing there. Yeah. No offense, Terry. Okay. Verse 25. Where, where did I leave off? I got carried away and gathered to his people. He, oh, mm, Aaron will get, be gathered. He will not enter the land I gave the Israelites because both of you, two brothers, rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Get Aaron and his son, Eleazar, and take them up Mount Or. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son, Eleazar, for Aaron will be gathered to his people he will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up to Mount Or in the sight of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son, Eleazar. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when the whole community learned that Aaron had died, all the Israelites mourned for him 30 days. Well, let's reflect on that before going into the first few verses of chapter 21. Well, first of all, the faithfulness of God, as I have referenced the death of Miriam, Moses' sister, God keeps all his promises. He said the 20-plus crowd was going to drop there in the wilderness, and there goes really one of the last ones. And not, it doesn't even matter that he's Aaron, and it won't matter that it's Miriam, and it doesn't matter that it's Moses. You see, on top of being in the 20-plus crowd, he did something really disrespectful. And I mean a couple times in his life. But this last one, the Lord said, you know, because you did this, there are consequences. And, and so he will join the millions of people in Christendom, in, in, in even Old Testament faith and New Testament who will come short. They will be saved. They're gathered to, he's saved. He's going to be gathered to the people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he's going to be there. You'll see him in heaven. But he fell short. Like millions of people will, they will fall short. They won't come into the land. And why? Because they thought maybe, you know, hey, I'm Aaron. Or maybe they just got puffed up with their gifts and abilities or who they are or who they're related to. Or how good God has blessed them. And, you know, when God has blessed us and honored us and, and there's no need on the horizon, suddenly we get so presumptuous and we just are careless and do things that can cost us. And we don't realize that, yes, forgiven, yes, still loved, yes, still honored, the high priest Aaron, wow, gathered to the people, 
But consequence is painful. Can't fix it. Listen, there are some things that cannot be fixed. And I have had the unfortunate duty to sit across from people and say, you know, friend, that's not going to be fixed. You can't fix it. Now, God's grace is around. God has a way of of working all things together for good. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to pay the consequences. The, The thief on the cross is going to be in paradise that day, but he's going to have to die because of what he did. You see? And so we've been down this road several times, and I think it's a road worth driving upon over and over again to realize one swerve can change your whole life, and you can't fix it. He said, remember the swerve at Meribah? Oh, just a quick swerve, one little swerve. He goes, for that, sorry, you're not going in. Saved, forgiven, loved, honored. But does it come to anyone's surprise that you could treat God like that and be rewarded? It shouldn't really shock anybody here. So here's the quote I was trying to paraphrase in my mind. Is anyone too terribly surprised that Aaron and Moses forfeit the joy of walking onto Canaan soil? You can't have been the recipients of such honor and privilege and then sin in such an irreverent way and still expect to be rewarded. Loved, forgiven, and saved, yes. But painful consequences follow sinful behavior no matter who you are. Therefore, avoid sin. Sin is bad. The end. All right. So we've talked about this. It becomes clear now. Moses, who represented the law, he can't take them into the promised land. Miriam, his sister, who represents the prophets. She's a prophetess. Prophets can't take you in. And now Aaron, the high priest, cannot take you into the promised land. It will be only Joshua, whose name is transliterated Jesus If you were to transliterate his name into English, Joshua, it is Jesus. It's the same name. The Lord is salvation. He is the one who will lead them into God's promised land. And Jesus, of course, leads us. So, okay, what's happening here? Moses gets a heads up. He says, Moses, you and your brother and your nephew, Eleazar, who's next in line for the office of the high priest... The high priestly baton needs to be passed on to Aaron's boy. Aaron's near death. And so now the heads up because God is a God of order. He loves smooth and and graceful transitions. And so he said, heads up, let's do this right with some dignity. He's about to die. You guys go up. All of Israel's watching. They go up Mount Or. And uh, there with God's presence, they're going to have the ceremony to pass the high priestly priest's office onto, as God has commanded, Eleazar, Aaron's boy. Now, Aaron dies a great figure, but complicated. We've talked a little bit about it. You know, Moses was whining when back in Exodus 3 when he got the call with the burning bush. Oh, I can't do it. They'll never listen to me. I've got a speech impediment. I don't know if you know about this, Lord. And the Lord had to say, you know, who made your mouth, pal? 
don't be telling me something that I don't already know. I made your mouth that way. But listen, and then Mo, the, the Moses ticked the Lord off. And the Lord said, well, sorry, that's what happened. And the Lord said to him, look, your brother, he's a good speaker. Let's use him. All right, so from that point on, Aaron comes and he kind of partners throughout life. He's there all the time, interceding. He's a great man. He's the first high priest of all. He's, he's a great man. And then you get to Exodus 32, and he caves. Moses being away. The people said, we don't even know what happened to him. What's his name again? It starts with a mall something. And... and <laughs> That's what they said. We don't even know who this fella is, was the Hebrew there. And, and Aaron says, okay, what do you want me to do? And they say, well, you know, help us build this golden calf so we could have some center, some focus here. And so, you know, the story when Moses comes down and says, what is this you have done, Aaron, my brother? And you know, uh, we've talked about it before and laughed about it. It's funny before I even get to the punchline. But he says... You know, he melted all the gold and he said, we threw it in the fire and out popped this calf. (laughs) All by itself. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. I've never said anything like that. All right. And so, you know, Exodus 32, Numbers 12, he, he and Miriam start to get a little sibling rivalry. This cost them a lot. A dark spot on their record. They said, Moses, you're not the boss of us anymore. We all have the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said, really? Miriam, take a look at your hand. Yeah. All right. Well, you can check that out if you forget what happened to her hand. It became leprous. Remember that? All right. Well, the point here is as the office is being passed on to Eleazar, God's work lives on. John Wesley used to say, God buries his workmen, but his work goes on. You see, it's not ever about Peter, James, and John. It's not about James being the head of the church. It's not about, you know, Apollos or Paul. It's not about Pastor Ross. It's not about the elders and deacons. It's not about Pastor whoever. We all have some great pastors and great favorite teachers. It's not about them. They're imperfect and they're going to die. God's work just goes on. So the text says, Moses obeys. They go up the mountain. Beautiful high priestly robes. You remember that? I don't know if we managed to get that visual aid in there. Probably not. That's all right. And I have a picture of the high priest robes. And you imagine in your mind, as we studied each piece, elaborate and colorful, all the turban and everything, that is going on Eleazar. And... uh, Now, Eleazar, he's the third born. He's not the first born. Where's the first born? Oh, yeah. Nadab, number one, and Abihu, number two. You remember them? They were high priests in training. And one day they thought, you know what? I know the Lord says, light the altar of incense with only coals that have been dripped on by the blood of the altar. You take those coals and you bring them across the courtyard and you light the prayer incense altar that represents the intercession of men's souls to God and prayer to him that's acceptable and sweet smelling. 
You light that fire with blood-soaked coals only. Not one day. I don't know what it was. They didn't want to go across the courtyard. They said, you know what? I've got matches right here. (laughs) Who needs the blood-soaked ones? They lit it, and they both died right there. No, no, no. So they forfeited themselves. They disqualified themselves from the honor. They would have been another two that you're probably going to meet that would have been the next high priest had they just done what God wanted them to do. How many steps did they save by not going across the courtyard? What was the reason they were thinking? Who knows? Was it enough to justify what happened to them? And can I ask you that? Evaluate the thing that you're going to take the shortcut and you're going to entertain doing. Is it worth forfeiting the grace that could be yours and the blessing that God has for you? With a quick little shortcut, I just don't want to do it. We know we got to use those coals for whatever reason. They didn't want to do it. They didn't do it. It cost them what? Honor and privilege. Who knows what you would have read in these chapters about the high priest Abihu. Great thanks for the Lord. Wow. My heart has been touched by this truth of not missing the mark for my own life. When I read that, I just say, Ross, no. Stay straight and narrow. Hit the bullseye for which God intended when he thought of me. I want to hit the bullseye. The only way to hit the bullseye is to stay in fellowship with him. Eyes on Jesus, nose in book, knees on ground. It's a very simple formula. I'm going to have you repeat it after me. Okay? Eyes on Christ. Eyes on Christ. Nose in book. Knees on ground. How hard is that? Apparently very hard. All right. And so Eliezer enters the picture. They come down. Aaron's not around. And they look and they see Eleazar wearing the beautiful robes. And they get it. Aaron's dead. Now they're mourning. Why are they mourning? They're very sad. Many had been to Aaron. Now, folks, the high priest, without a high priest, you've got no hope of being with God. In their mentality, the high priest is their hope. It's their bridge to eternal life, to knowing God. Without Aaron standing there, they are hopelessly condemned. And many of them knew him throughout their lives. They would take their sacrifice and pour out their hearts to Aaron and say, Oh, Aaron, I have sinned. Is God going to forgive me? And he would speak comforting words to them. Oh, yes, God loves you. This is in, you're doing what the law commands. And God is faithful as you are obedient. God will wash away your sins. Though they be scarlet, they will be white as snow. And he spoke sweet comfort to those folks. And they knew him and he knew them. And now who is this? Eleazar. We don't know him. He doesn't know us. They're sad. They're mourning. Different priest now. 
Well, this is the good news of the gospel. And the writer of Hebrews it takes this very thought that I just made and goes to town with it. In Hebrews 7, he mentions that Jesus is not of the high priesthood of Aaron, but of a higher source, a guy named Melchizedek, whom we've met in Genesis, in the early chapters of Genesis. Melchizedek's thing in Psalm 110, it tells us that Melchizedek was a high priest, and Jesus is in his order. Melchizedek didn't have a beginning or an end. You see, he's not like Aaron who's going to die. He's not like a pastor who may fall or, or will die one day as well. Your salvation is so secure because it's, it's, the high priest is eternal. He didn't start in Bethlehem. He was the word of God at the beginning of the creation with God, the second person of the Godhead. That's your high priest. So you have a high priest who is in the order of Melchizedek. He's eternal, a high priest who is intimately acquainted with you. So you don't have to mourn when your favorite pastor passes away or your favorite teacher or Billy Graham goes home to be with the Lord and is gathered to his people. You know, we have somebody who supersedes every man that represents God in ministry. That's your Lord Jesus Christ. And he is a high priest who intimately is acquainted with you because he made you. He knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He's a high priest who is thoroughly trustworthy since he died for you. He loves you deeply. His blood is offered. This is a high priest who doesn't bring the blood of bull and goats. He brings his own blood into the holy place in heaven and says, Father, this is payment in full. He's a high priest who is sympathetic since he was tempted and tried just like you and I. Amazing that you'll be able to look at him and he'll be able to say, I know how you felt. Because he did. He knew how you felt as a human being because he was one. He had a heartbeat. You know, you know, you could be talking to him about having a problem sleeping. And he would say, oh, didn't you hate that? You just lay there and your mind's going like this. He was a human being. That just blows my mind. God, you know. Honestly, can you imagine being a disciple and then kind of getting it? The guy's walking on water. He's talking to the hurricanes, telling it to shut up, and it just goes, you know. He talks to dead people, and they sit up, and he's doing all of these things. And then you realize, you look at him, and you realize, you don't want to say, oh, my God, but you could. (laughs) You would say, and it would work there. But you would say, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, you... That, for me, I would just fall over and die. Honestly, I really would. I mean, how could you sleep by a campfire? Which they did, knowing the guy over there was snoring. He was a human being. He was a human being. That's God. Maker of, he speaks and there's a sun. By his word, the sun is in orbit. All right, never mind. That's something I really like to think about. Obviously, by the look on your dazed faces, you're not all in agreement with me, but that's okay. Let's move on. We'll finish up. 
My question to you is, will you let Christ, your high priest, lead you into your promised land? You have a promised land. He has something in mind for you. If only you could get there. Will you let him? You do have an option, you know. Uh, Before we get into four verses here of 21, I want you to notice something about Moses. Moses is no fair-weather believer. He's had two family funerals. He's had two confrontations with those mean-spirited second generation, generation X Hebrews, and the personal failure at Kadesh. And what does he do? He picks up his staff and goes right back to work. Moses is, a, is the man. You know how you know who a, a man of God is and a woman of God is? They get hit with adversity and they get back up. Business as usual. They take care of business. Look at this man, what he's been through. Gets up, picks up his staff. He's been told, you know, Aaron's dead and your sister's dead. You're not going. And all these people, after all of that time, I just love that. Proverbs 24.10. If you falter in time of trouble, how small is your strength? It's one of my favorite verses. Let me paraphrase it, what I hear it saying. Is that all it takes to knock you down? How sad. Now, or throwing in the towel when you're under the gun just shows how immature your faith really was. If you falter in time of trouble, how small is your strength? You know what? Moses' strength is great because he knew where to find his strength. It's not in Moses. It's in the word of God. It's in living and abiding in his presence. The joy of the Lord is his strength. The word of God nourishes him and gives him life. He's a man of prayer, meek and humble. The folks I meet today, seriously, folks, you ought to be a pastor just to hear what I hear and see what I see. The Christian body of Christ, a breakup, a disappointment, a loss, a little grief, prolonged struggle, and the person's unraveled. Honestly, I bite my tongue a lot. I don't say, I mean, I want to be sensitive. But when a person who's just talking to me, somebody nobody knows in this room, unraveled over a prolonged issue, this person is a Marine, fought in Iraq, and honestly, a big fat baby. That's what I wanted to call him. Okay, I did. I called him that. I said, you know what you sound like? A big, fat baby. He has guns like this, big, strong warrior. And I said, when are you going to get in touch with being a man? Look at me, this little, bald, Jewish old guy. I'm standing there, and I said this to him. I said, look at me. I said, you, what a compliment you are paying me. A a man of God slays the dragon within. He's a knight in shining armor because he loves his Lord. And he will walk the walk at 
the price of putting himself in harm's way. And here's this outward stud just whining to me why he can't be in fellowship and why he doesn't read his Bible anymore and why he's wondering and has doubts and confusions all about God and what happened? Raised in the church. What happened to you? Oh, wow, 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 about this one little thing. Take a look at Moses. Take a look at anybody. Christian character. Find your strength. You are a woman of God. Act like her. You're a man of God, aren't you? Or are you just a baby? You may end up in heaven with not a lot to show for it. And my job is to make sure you have an account there. When you get there, something's there. Because I was open to the Holy Spirit being able to correct you and put you on the right path so you don't end up like a big baby. But you end up like a man of God and a woman of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word to us tonight. And I just sensed that that was it. And we will look at chapter 21 next time. But Father, let us concentrate on the exhortation from the life of Moses and from Aaron and from these people Lord, who are such recipients of your grace and yet so stuck in so many ways. And yet the grace of God, the high priesthood gets transferred over. Joshua's going to come, even though Moses is going to pass. Aaron passes, but there's somebody to pick it up there. And these folks will eventually enter the promised land and they will have victory. And it's all because of your grace. Help us, Lord, to become men of God, women of God. And that's what you've destined us for. And that's the only way to, to, to live. Be content, be mature, and have peace, and be a help to other people, and to have wisdom and knowledge and discernment. Oh, what a joy to walk with a living God and with a clean conscience and fullness of the Holy Spirit and no compromise and no game playing and no chastisement, only blessing and usefulness for the Master. God, make it so in my heart, my family, and in this congregation. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. Now, Heavenly Father, we just look to you to make us the kind of people that you would be well pleased with. Keep our eyes on Christ, our nose in the book, our knees on the ground, our our hearts in love with God more than the world, more than ourselves to deny ourselves, to pick up our crosses and to follow you. you, You've made it easy in some ways, Lord. Help us to put into practice your words, put them into practice and be blessed. Commit ourselves to your care. In Christ's name, everybody said... 
Amen. Well, God bless you. Don't forget, guys, we do need some help moving some chairs. That would be awesome if you could stay and help. We'll see you Sunday. God bless you.